This is a podcast by The Straits Times. The winners and still the champions of the land, Manchester City. Manchester City are champions again. Leeds, Leicester and Southampton are down while Burnley, Sheffield United and Luton Town make the step up from the second tier. So much drama, so much to talk about from the 2022-23 English Premier League campaign, but it's time to already look ahead. Hi, this is ST Sports Talk and I am ST Sports reporter Deepan Raj Ganesan. And today, with the help of ST's EPL columnist John Bruin and football commentator Zaul Raushan, we look into our crystal balls to see what we can expect in the weeks and months ahead before the English Premier League returns. Hi John, hi Raushan. Hello there, good to be here. Yep, uh, it's been a few weeks uh, since the English Premier League has ended. If I could ask you for your moment of the season, uh, what would it be? Raushan, I'll, I'll come to you first. Wow, straight away with a hard one. My moment of the season, unfortunately, isn't a victory for Manchester United. It was the 4 defeat to Brentford for me because I think that kick-started the whole Eric Ten Hag reign in terms of how much he realised, how much trouble he had to solve. And that really galvanised them for the rest of the season. For, for me, that match stands out. Right, John, uh, what about you? What, what stood out for you? I was actually at that game that you referred to. And yeah, that did really seem like a dark hour before the dawn, didn't it? And uh, so it proved. Um, the moment I, I was actually at... Uh, Antonio Conte's explosive rant. I was at Southampton that day. Um, and, you know, if you're a working journalist, you have to wrestle with copy and get it sent to the desk. And uh, one of my jobs that day was to file while he was screaming blue murder about his job at Tottenham and about how he hated everybody and how the club was a mess. And then, you know, and it's a call to the desk to say, uh, I think we'll need some more words on this. <laughs> Uh, funny fact, I was chatting to a, a friend of mine um, who works for the Daily Mail, a long-time journalist. He said, that's the greatest rant I've ever seen in my life. And he actually was the guy that asked the question. I, I don't know if you've heard the clip, but we uh, will have heard it. Conte only answered two questions, one of which was uh, my friend Matt's question was, why, Antonio, why? And uh, that got another 10 minutes of ranting. Incredible scenes, incredible. Yeah, I would have loved to to be there. I think it's the kind of uh, press conferences that you really want to be at. Just also talking about just results, you know, Raushan mentioned uh, that United-Brentford game where Brentford won 4-0. Another game that United were involved in that has got people talking and Liverpool fans still talking about it. it. It's that yeah, I can se- understand. <laughs> the 7-0 defeat. Um, you know, when, when that was happening, you know, do you remember where you were and, and what was happening? Like for me, I remember that because I was watching the game with my Liverpool supporting dad and I had to keep telling myself that this is my dad, this is my dad. You know, as every goal went in, he he annoyed me further and further. But this is the kind of result that even till now that we don't quite understand. You know, how was it like for you, John? Well, I was working with Guardian that day and I was doing the minute-by-minute commentary of that game. So having to type it out and I admit this, at one point I lost count of how many goals Salah had scored because uh, it just seems to me every time I looked up, Salah was streaming through to score. Um, what a strange game that was, really, because think of the mood music at the end of the Premier League season that comes out of Manchester United, that comes out of Liverpool. Liverpool had a really miserable season, you know, and they really did not enjoy themselves at all. And yet, you can have your 7-0, uh, and they really enjoyed that. And, yeah, they also had a great performance against Arsenal, didn't they? Which, 
you could say, denied Arsenal the title. But there are so many questions to answer about Liverpool, whereas Manchester United, I think with the Brentford game, the Sevilla game, the Liverpool game, they're not infallible. We know that. They know that they can collapse. I think that's a big question against Ten Hag, is what happens when something like that happens. Now, even Pep Guardiola has had the odd game where suddenly everything's gone wrong. But that's something that Manchester United need to close down. But that game, you know, when we think of Premier League season 22-23, yeah, that's probably going to be the outstanding result. And yet it had very little to do with what happened at the end of the season. Exactly. Uh, I don't want to go into individuals too much, but I think we've got to talk about Erling Haaland. Interestingly, a mate of mine before the season uh, actually told me that uh, he doesn't think Erling Haaland's going to be all that uh, in the English Premier League. And he pointed to how Haaland misses easy chances in the in, in Bundesliga. I mean, suffice to say, he's totally wrong. But Raushan, you know, were you surprised by how good Erling Haaland has been in terms of the goals output? Yeah, I think you have to be surprised. He obviously arrived with a lot of potential, but to follow through on that potential and not just score 20-odd goals, right? He's smashed records left, right and centre. And I think Guardiola had to work a little to work Haaland into the team because I don't think it was a straight control-C, control-V situation. I think he had to tweak his tactics slightly to make the most of Haaland. And fair play to Guardiola, he did just that. He was willing to go back to the drawing board, so to speak, and try and reinvent the team slightly to get the most out of Haaland. And I think Haaland, while I always expected him to score goals, I think the sheer number of goals he scored is quite remarkable. And to consider he's only 22 years of age, I do feel he's going to be the one to smash all these records that are in play, right? Not just season records, but all-time scoring records. And you feel like for someone like Harry Kane, who waited so long to try and fight with the Shearers and the Andy Coles of those record books, but Haaland has come along and he looks like he's going to do it probably in the next season or two. All right, let's now move on to what's ahead of us. And before we look ahead to, you know, some of the talking points that we've had in the English Premier League season as well, and what more we can learn from them, let's touch on some pre-season chatter, shall we? Uh, Liverpool, of course, will face Leicester City in Singapore on July 30th and take on Bayern Munich on August the 2nd. Uh, and also, it's been previously announced that Tottenham Hotspur will face AS Roma in a friendly in Singapore on July 26th. John, what is the view over in England? You know, given that Jurgen Klopp has previously already hit out at these Asian tours and how that has affected uh, the build-up of his team, and yet here they are coming into Singapore again this time around. So, you know, what can we take from that? Well, I think the first thing to say is that Jurgen Klopp complains about an awful lot these days. <laughs> uh, so, it's almost like a, a, a reflex reaction for managers to complain about that schedule. The other reflex is, of course, that they have to accept it because the people that write the checks for their salaries to buy the players, it's a necessary part of the business to go on these tours. Now, I don't know quite know the, you know, the full finances or whatever, but marketing opportunities to go to Asia are considerable. And listen, uh, you know, back in the Manchester United days of Sir Alex, he didn't like to go on those tours. I think there's a couple that he managed to skip. You know, but Arsene Wenger complained every year about it, and and for at the start of his reign, he used to take his team to Austria, where you know if you train in the Alps by Salzburg, it's ideal conditions for the start of a European season. Let's face it, it is not ideal conditions if you train 
in you know subtropical conditions. I remember a tour a few years ago where Manchester United and City went to China, and I think they had was it two games washed out where they had like these rainstorms. It's not ideal. It's part of the business. I think back home. Fans accept it. It's quite interesting to watch, you know, if you've got your MUTV or your Liverpool FC TV to watch these friendly games. Nobody should ever take a friendly pre-season friendly game as worth anything because, let's recall, Erling Haaland was written off after the Community Shield last season. So these are just a, an exercise in commerce and, you know, maybe if you're a fan in, in, in Asia or America or wherever it is to, to maybe get up close to the players, that's all it is. Um, I think one of the concerns maybe in the future is that there have been this idea floated last couple of seasons that they'll try and make pre-season events competitive, but I don't see that taking off. I don't see that having much credibility. Listen, it's an accepted part of it. It's been that way, you know, since. I mean, you will see footage of uh, Matt Busby's first Manchester United team from the early 50s flying to America. And, you know, Manchester United flew to... I think they won the FA Cup in 1977, flew to Australia. Part of the deal. It's part of the deal. Uh, and Jurgen Klopp can whinge all he likes, but when his paycheck is so large, he would like inf- more influence over the club than he, than he would like. I think that's one of the issues there. But that isn't something he's going to get to influence. Yeah, Roshan, we've heard the English perspective. For you, are you looking forward to these matches? Yeah, I think you will tend to look forward to these matches because... Let's not lie about it. The Premier League is the biggest thing in Asia, right? Every football-watching fan loves the Premier League. Therefore, the teams coming here is a chance, like John said, to get close to your heroes. Then you look at it. I I question Liverpool coming here two years in a row to start with. I think that's a bit of a weird one for me. And then you think about Leicester and Tottenham. Are they the cream of the crop in the Premier League, the Premier League table? Certainly doesn't suggest so. And let's be honest, Leicester aren't even in the Premier League next season. So I do question the calibre of teams that are coming. But having said that, then you throw in the likes of Bayern Munich and Roma. They come with their own fan base. So it's quite exciting. And while it may be pre-season, and I take John's point completely, it's not exactly a marker because it's just working towards getting yourself ready for the start of the season. It's still a chance to watch high-level athletes play right in front of you. And it's not just about the football, is it? It's about going to your Adidas shops or your Westerns or your whatever PR events they have to get a selfie with a player, to get a autograph from a player. And I think that part is quite exciting. Having said that, I'm disappointed Manchester United are not coming. That, that goes for me as well. I mean, I mean, an opportunity to watch Manchester United up close in person will always be something that we look forward to as fans. Uh, but I think like Raushan, I'm looking forward to watching the likes of Liverpool, Bayern Munich and Roma uh, and Tottenham, whoever their manager is coming here. Uh, if to, they have one s- at all. <laughs> that's right. To, oh, no, no one knows who that's going to be. <laughs> yeah. To Singapore. Um, moving on to now, you know, looking back and also learning lessons from the English Premier League campaign. Let's start off at the top with Manchester City. They've won 28 games, drawn five and lost five in the campaign. At one point of time, it looked like, you no know, Pep, didn't know what he was doing, you know, letting go of Yao Cancelo in the January window and there were a few points behind Arsenal. But, you know, when it came to the clutch moments, Man City came out on top. But moving forward now, how do they continue to improve? Because you look at this team and, and some might point out that there are still some weak points there. Are they making any sense, John? You know, what are these weak points and what does Pep need to do to improve this side? I mean, it's interesting to consider that we were talking 
weak points of that team. But I suppose what you're driving at is that maybe the core of that team is getting a little bit older. Kevin De Bruyne maybe not got the engine that he had two or three years ago. I was at City's final game of the season, actually, and Kyle Walker, who's a very good player, you know when like a, a dog gets a bit tetchy when it gets older uh, and a bit bitey? Uh, <laughs> that's how Kyle Walker reminds you of how he plays. Yeah, and, and the thing is, actually, that Brentford game is reasonably instructive because I think Pep shifted out seven players and they weren't very good and that the underlying quality below that first team maybe isn't of the best quality that you might expect. Okay, the bench is normally very strong. You're going to have five, six world-class players. But below that, they're going to struggle. So I would not expect City to make a flagship signing in the respect of Haaland, obviously, or even Jack Grealish from two years ago. But they'll be looking to strengthen areas and say, maybe play like uh, Gundogan, uh, who's been such an important player. Team captain this season, of course. He's wanted by Barcelona back in Germany wherever we might end up. You're looking to bolster experience there. You've also got a player, say, like Calvin Phillips, signed for a lot of money, 60 million, I think. Two Premier League starts all season. One of the things about Pep Guardiola that I think now as a manager is that when Pep decides that he wants to make a player better, he almost always manages to achieve that. But there are the odd player where he just looks at them and it's like, right, no, it's not happening. Mm. And it's whether they've got the balance between those players. And you mentioned Cancelo, uh, him being removed. That was a move that nobody else could see as making any sense, but it did energise the rest of the team because it made them think, hang on a sec, there's an established player, a player that is always praised for his movement, for his you know adaptability. And that's the thing, I think, with Pep is how can you keep up those motivational levels We've seen previous managers that say build a dynasty, Liverpool in the 1970s, uh, obviously Manchester United, maybe Arsenal Wenger as well, is to to rebuild the team. You've got to cut it uh, and be harsh when you cut it to make the other players think, I need to improve, keep getting better. So not that I see Pep as a sentimental character in any sense, actually, uh, but... Um, that's what's going to have to happen is if they want to get better, they want to sustain, you have to start saying, well, maybe Kevin De Bruyne doesn't play every game. Maybe this player comes in. Maybe we look to another player who, who is the true partner for Haaland. Uh, but, you know, he still enters next season with the best squad in world football. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. And now back to our conversation with Zaul Raushan and John Bruin. Raushan, do, do you agree? I mean, uh, John seems to point in a direction that there's not much in terms of uh, how this, this squad can improve in terms of personnel. Because, you know, I agree with John. I think going into next season, Manchester City still have one of the best squads in, in Europe. Uh, but for you, where do you think the weakness probably lies? You know, what is one position that you would improve on? I agree with John completely in terms of perhaps they do have the strongest squad, but the, the cast that comes in are not of the highest quality, the younger players that come in. And if you ask me to zoom in on one position, I'm going to 
turn to Rodri purely because Rodri is the fulcrum of that side and everything that's good about City tends to go through him. But if Rodri were to take the odd day off or he has to be rested, who comes in? Calvin Phillips hasn't covered himself in glory in his first season. There's hope yet for the second season. Will that happen? That would be interesting to see. And as well as Julian Alvarez, I feel he's too good to play second fiddle to Erling Haaland. So we talk about Pep Guardiola trying to balance the team and keep the egos happy and keep the egos in check. And with the way they're winning, the egos are only going to get bigger. So how often is Alvarez going to be happy to play second fiddle? I'm not sure. So that's a conundrum that Pep has to solve eventually. So it's going to be interesting in terms of managing playtime as well as keeping the players happy and on their toes. So it's quite exciting. And I think the rest of the teams are only going to get stronger. So while City are the benchmark at the moment, they need to be wary because if they stay stagnant, then the other teams are going to catch up. Speaking of catching up, of course, Arsenal tried to catch up but ultimately finished five points behind Manchester City. But we have to talk about how brilliant a season they had. Despite not finishing with any silverware, I think they've earned lots of respect around the Premier League. But is this a missed opportunity? And uh, Raushan, I'll come to you first. Can you see Arsenal making a splash again next season? I think they have to. I think while the ending to the season was very, very disappointing if you're of the Arsenal persuasion, I think they can be very proud of the season they've had. But next season is going to be even more difficult because lest we forget, they're back in the Champions League. So they don't have their weeks off and then just concentrate on the Premier League. They're going to have midweek football to juggle together with the Premier League. That's going to be a test for Mikel Arteta. And he's done well to clear Deadwood in the years gone by. The likes of Aubameyang have left the club. But there's still Nicolas Pepe on the roster for Arsenal, right? So what's he going to do there? And I think Arsenal... They've done really well in the past couple of transfer windows. But as we saw in January, they're still not the first choice for players to join. The likes of Modric decided to join Chelsea. Casiedo eventually turned down the move. So this window, with Champions League football and the season that Arsenal have had, are they going to then become a more attractive proposition? Because it's all good having players. But if you're going to settle for your second choice, which is essentially Trossard and Jorginho, what they were in January, I think if you're always going to have to settle for your second choice, then you're going to struggle to build on the season they had. So it'll be interesting, but I think Arsenal have a good foundation to build on and they continue to back Ateta. I think they can only get better. I take your point. But I just want to point out that for, I think, Casado, I think it was a case of uh, Brighton blocking the move in, in January instead of him turning Arsenal down, which it could be a move that Arsenal revisit uh, in the summer window. Uh, John, a lot of Arsenal fans, especially here in Singapore, and I'm quite sure in England as well, around the globe, have been quite annoyed by the talk from some pundits that they're already ruling them out of challenging again next season. You know, basically they're they are saying that the club is not getting respected by by pundits. You know, is that a fair statement? I, I tell you what, I think you can't predetermine how other people think, can you? I mean, you know, I, I do think there was that point in the season where, say, late February, Arsenal turning for home, this is their title. It had to be that. It had to be their title and it didn't happen. Now, it's how you respond to that is the, the difficulty. Now, if you look back on Premier League history and see those teams that have fallen short in the past, not all of them get there in the end. I mean, there's been a few Liverpool teams that didn't quite get over the line. They had to rebuild and it took many years until Jürgen Klopp came in. Let's say, say Brendan Rodgers. That's the season that it reminds me of. Remember Brendan Rodgers' season at Liverpool where it all just suddenly was... They were brilliant. They were the best team in the league by a mile. And then suddenly, not in a similar way, it just came apart. And the thing that happened there, of course, is that uh, they spent the summer 
Uh, I think they bought Mario Balotelli, so that would be the first thing I'd say not to do. <laughs> uh, um, but they, they, they don't need to transfer someone like that. They've got a settled squad, they've got a decent squad, but it's one that needs improving. So, uh, funny enough, uh, you know, obviously, how did they strengthen their squad last time? Gabriel Jesus, uh, Alexander and Zinchenko come in. Well, <laughs> do they look to more Manchester City cast-offs? Well, there is. There was, there was a talk of uh, Gundogan. I don't know if, if, how uh, true that was, but that's how they did it that time. And I agree that they need to be looking to a, a higher echelon. Them being in the Champions League, them being in London, them perhaps looking to pay higher wages than before might mean that, I mean, Casado, actually, that's a good call. I would expect him to be, to go there. I think what happened with that deal is that Tony Bloom said, sign a new contract and we'll make sure that you get sorted at the end of the season. Tony Bloom being the Brighton owner. And. That's the type of player they need. Where, where do they need strengthening? Well, they probably need a goal scorer, as good as Jesus has been. You know, uh, poor old Eddie Nketiah. It didn't quite happen for him. Uh, I think they're okay in the wing positions because I think Trossard is a good player. Um, Jorginho, bit of a stopgap. You're going to need someone like Casado coming in. Um, Thomas Parsi was a player who's, let's say, his, def- his performances dropped off a bit. Maybe a replacement for Ben White and make Ben White play a bit more as a reserve centre half. So there are positions to strengthen. The question is, I don't, I don't see Arsenal as a contender for next season. I might be wrong because I see, uh, well, I see City alone really, and then someone else maybe out of the maybe Newcastle or Liverpool or, or Manchester United group. But they can have a good season. They can maybe win a trophy. They can have a good run in Europe. Um, what they don't need to do is lose heart and think that was our final chance. But there may come a point in the season when it starts to go wrong for Mikel Arteta. And because he's a young manager, he hasn't been tested that far. It's when start, things start to go against him. If he has a Brendan Rodgers moment, well, yeah, we could be talking about this time next year if we're talking. They could be looking for a new manager. And that's that's sometimes the way it can go. Well, we we need to probably clip this out and and store it in the in the locker to to use back again. Okay, <laughs> I'm 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 ready for it. I've been wrong many times before, <laughs> and I'm occasionally right too. So yeah, and and speaking of things that have went right, uh, it's perhaps Manchester United season under Eric Ten Hag, uh, a successful season of sorts in terms of finishing in Europe and also getting some silverware. But you know, the next step has to be to to challenge for the title. Raushan, do you see that happening? I mean, of course, we have to factor in the fact that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about ownership. There's been a lot of talk about uh, possible incomings, possible outgoings and all this drama that surrounds the end of the season and and pre-season. Do you see United, you know, going one better than just qualifying for Europe and challenging for the title? I think if there's one word that's always synonymous with Manchester United is drama. So that comes with the territory. I think the ownership is a huge, huge cloud lurking over the club. It needs to be sorted out for Ten Hag to have any forms of assurance going in. But the expectation will be there because I think Ten Hag, considering everything he's had to deal with this season, Ronaldo, Maguire, Greenwood, the ownership, the lack of funding in January, I think he's done really well to achieve what he has. Third was a bonus. Champions League qualification was always the aim. He got that done. I think next season, it really depends on how much money is allocated to him and where he spends it. 
I think they also need to get their selling right as much as they need to get their buying right. Look, on the buying front, I'm not so worried about Ten Hag because I think he has shown that he knows what he wants in the market and most of his signings have been good. Even the loan ones have come in and done really well. I think this time they need to sell better because Manchester United, ever since Alex left, have not been selling well enough. They always end up taking a hit on the players and not cashing in or giving them contract extensions when they don't deserve it. Hopefully, Ten Hag is a bit more steely. He knows what he wants. I think he will know even better that what he doesn't want. So that will add to how much money he can spend. You look at that spine of that team, it's slowly taking shape. You do need a striker, a focal point, and that's going to be make or break for Manchester United because goal scoring was a huge, huge problem this year. I think if they continue to not shore up that position, then next season they're going to struggle. You can't rely on a half-fit striker to take you through the number of games that Manchester United are going to have. Long story short, I don't expect Manchester United to be challenging for the title just yet, but I expect next season to be a step in the right direction again for Eric Ten Hag. You know, Raushan talked about, you know, scoring goals being a problem. I mean, the fact that they scored 30 goals lesser than Arsenal's 88 goals shows you, you know, the, the problem that they have in terms of scoring goals and yet they finished third, uh, which is respectable. John, I, I think Raushan has covered a lot of, you know, what he thinks United will be, will be gunning for next season. I'm going to put you on the spot a bit here, but... What do United need and what will they end up with? Okay, right. Wow, yeah. Well, m- many intangibles, uh, as as, it, as we've said. But whoever the ownership is, they're going to have to inject some cash. I think they'll get Harry Kane. I think Harry Kane. Look at Harry Kane's body language towards the end of those final games with Tottenham at the end of the season. That did not look like a guy that is staying at Tottenham, and nor should he stay at Tottenham. They get Harry Kane. Okay, you've solved your goal-scoring problem, Okay. Uh, because Valt Beckhorst was fulfilling the same positions that you'd expect Harry Kane to be in. He just obviously could not score. <laughs> but I think, what might they need? The question with always with Manchester United has always been, let's let's fill the midfield. Let's get good midfielders in there. Maybe they make another bid for Frankie de Jong. That appears to be a big-ticket item for Ten Hager, a determination, an obsession for him. Uh, Barcelona, of course, financial problems continue. That's when you start picking off players. Um, so, if you go through the team, they probably need a stronger fullback, right back in particular, Diogo Delot, improved player, no doubt, but you need a higher quality player than that. You'd suggest Luke Shaw. Maybe you could convert Luke Shaw into someone that plays left back and centre back. Maybe buy a higher quality left back, but I don't think that's a priority. But essentially, it's central midfielder, forward. Goalkeeper, that's a big issue. That really is a big issue, and that's what I don't have an answer to, because I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a David de Gea fan, uh, though I'm sometimes a David de Gea fan when I'm looking through my fingers at the latest mistake that he's made. But let's see what happens there. How many good goalkeepers are there out there that they could get? Maybe David Raya, maybe at Brentford, someone like that. Would it be better than David de Gea? I'm not sure. The problem is when Manchester United enter the market, they always end up overpaying and, uh, as you said before, underselling. And that's the big issue. And I can see Kane, yes. A midfielder, yes. A fullback, yes. Goalkeeper, I'm not sure about. But I do wonder if we're going to have another summer of Manchester United transfer sagas that any of us that have followed this club for the last however many years have just spent every day reading Manchester United's speculation and 
I think that's what we're going to have all summer. Um, and actually, if I was to make any prediction, of course, the Harry Kane thing will go on longer than it needs to. Yep, um, and and still, I'm here waiting for Nico Gaetan and Wesley Snyder to to make their moves <laughs> to Manchester United. <laughs> Speaking of players from the yesteryear, right? There's one signing I hope Manchester United make this summer, and I don't think that will pertain to just players on the pitch. Edwin Rendesar, who recently left Ajax, I feel like he'll be a quality addition in terms of understanding Ten Hag and helping to get these deals over the line because. The proof is the pudding. Yeah, he loves yeah, the club. Yeah. He's he loves Manchester United. He's done it at Ajax. He comes with experience. And the if is new owners to talk about. They need someone with a footballing brain to carry out their their wishes, right? So hopefully Van der Sar will come along. That'd be an interesting signing for me. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I was going to say I interviewed him a few years ago uh, when he would just started at Ajax. Such an intelligent guy. Completely, you know, for, for a guy that had just stopped playing, he was completely across the like the machinations of UEFA. I think he's one of the people behind making sure that Europa League means play, teams get more money. You know, he's a top operator, and exactly, I think that's what that is a great point. Actually, one of the things that you see with football clubs these days is a lot of boasting about how they've got this new executive that's highfalutin. And let's face it, I, I've worked in football for twenty five years. I've never heard of these people. Someone like Edwin Van der Sar comes in; he's a big name. He carries gravitas. And I think that's what Manchester United need. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, good point. Very good point. Yep. And of course, you know, before the, the next season starts, I'm sure we'll have a conversation again uh, about the likes of Liverpool, the likes of Chelsea, who had a season to forget. And of course, Newcastle United, who of course surprised us all uh, and even perhaps their own fans by finishing in the Champions League spots. And, and Newcastle is a side to watch out for going ahead into the future seasons. But just want to, you know, draw the, the conversation to a close. But before that, I want to ask each of you, you know, what are you looking forward to next season? Are, are these, you know, newly promoted teams uh, related or perhaps with Man City, Brighton? What what are you looking most forward to, Roshan? Well, plenty to look forward to. To start with, I know the season's just ended, but I can't wait for football to start again. I'm particularly excited about Burnley coming up because they've rebranded, right? Under Vincent Company, they're playing a different brand of football. There's something different to look forward to. And it's always nice to see Pep go up against one of his former pupils, so to speak. So that should be an interesting battle to look forward to. Luton Town back in the Premier League. I, I'm saying back in the Premier League. They've never been in the Premier League. Back amongst the big boys, that should be quite fun. Away days there are going to be interesting for the bigger clubs as well. I think Liverpool and Chelsea have all to do to right the wrongs of this season. That's going to be something exciting to look forward to. And Newcastle, I think this is... We've waxed lyrical for a long time about Eddie Howe getting the club into Champions League. Where they go from here, that's going to be interesting to watch for me. Wonderfully put. Uh, John, what about you? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, I'm looking forward to a Luton away day, definitely. That is, uh, you know, it is return to the 1970s. But beyond that, two clubs stand out to me. Let's see how Brighton go again next season. They've been fantastic. Uh, and they were fantastic last season. Roberto De Zerbi uh, is box office. This guy, you know, is almost like a new Mourinho. He carries real gravitas without still speaking through a translator most of the time. You know, uh, there's a certain menace about him. There was that fight with Stellini on the sideline, which was you know, I was told was about a row from about 15 years ago. You know, this this is a guy that, that bears a grudge. That's what we want, isn't it? You know, we, we want a bit of beef. Chelsea, I mean, come on. Can it be any worse? If, it's, if it is any worse, I'm here for it. It could be amazing. And actually, one other thing that a piece I wrote recently, will Jurgen Klopp smile again? 
because we've not seen much of that. I mean, okay, obviously during the 7-0, obviously during Liverpool's better run towards the end of the season, but he his face was like thunder for a lot of the season, wasn't it? And the backroom at Liverpool has shifted around. There's been people leaving. Uh, he's brought in a guy from Germany who he's close to. Let's see what the new Liverpool's like, because I think it's built in Jürgen's image, but I'm not sure that that image is what everyone else at Liverpool wants. So we're into a bit of a hinterland, I suppose, with um, Jürgen. We've never seen him at a club for this long length of time. It is a long time. It's eight years. Let's see how that goes, because if things start blowing up there, one to watch, one to watch. Sorry, Liverpool fans. But I'm sure they're concerned as well, actually, about that one. Yeah, and already I think uh, in this particular episode, we've covered quite a lot. But, you know, a lot can change, you know, as the season shapes up with transfers. And I'm sure we'll revisit this conversation again, John and Raushan, where we'll talk about the squads once we know better, you know, who is in there. I'm sure there'll be a few surprise signings. I'm sure there'll be a few shock exits. Uh, looking forward to discussing them with you both again once again thank you for coming on this episode of ST Sports Talk thank you for having me cheers been great fun that was a podcast by The Straits Times send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg find us on Apple Spotify Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa enabled devices for more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A W E D I O.